You're listening to Stocks for Docs, a podcast to educate healthcare professionals to build wealth through value investing in the stock market. I'm your host, Dr. Vivetta Lobo. Welcome back, everyone. This is Stocks for Docs, the podcast created just for healthcare workers to talk about the stock market and value investing. And I'm your host, Dr. Vivetta Lobo. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. And today we're going to continue part two of our four-part series that we're going to go over the values or the basic four principles of value investing. So in last episode, we talked about the first one, which is circle of competence. And that is finding your area of expertise, uh, your area where your values, your interests, your passion lie, and finding companies that align with those to make it more interesting, enjoyable to have your stock market practice. So finding your circle of competence, finding the boundaries and defining those is really important. And then, of course, sticking within those boundaries. But the next one, or number two on that list, is the moat of a company. Now, what is a moat? Well, if you look it up the dictionary, the moat is really the water that surrounded a castle, and it helped defend that castle. Warren Buffett quotes, if you have an economic castle, people are going to come and take it from you. So you better have a strong moat and a knight in that castle that knows what they're doing. So essentially, a moat is a durable competitive advantage. It's something that's sustainable that a company has to protect it from its competitors. Because all you need is one competitor, one good competitor to really ruin a business, right? So it's, it's that intrinsic value, intrinsic property that is so embedded in that company that makes it so valuable that if you got rid of that moat, you would probably destroy the company. It marks the company as being predictable, and of course, it helps raise its value. And if you think about what this might be for a company, the most obvious one, I think, that comes to most of us as consumers is a company's brand, right? It's that culture and value and personality, if you will, that it puts out there. And that's true. Brand is one type of moat. And we'll talk about the different types, but there's many types of moat, actually. And we'll probably go over about six of them in today's episode. And it's actually really fascinating when I first read about this, because I hadn't, I hadn't looked at companies to try to figure out what their moat was. Why was some companies sticking and some didn't? You know, why was it so easy for someone to come, ar- come around and just replace a company? And that's when you get into the the intrinsic value that makes that company so strong. So we're going to talk about six different types of moat today. So let's start with the first one, which is brand. Brand moat is some kind of unique value proposition, right? Culture or messaging that's strongly recognizable for that company, like a value brand. And customers have to almost pay a premium to achieve that brand or to attain that brand. And then they'll come back for more. There's loyalty with that. The customer is essentially buying something beyond just the price. Now, as a woman, something that easily comes to mind 
is a handbag, right? So I can get a handbag from Target, pay about $25 or something like that, and it's going to be a good handbag, well-made, um, totally efficient and usable. Or I could go to a boutique store like Chanel and pay $6,000 for a handbag that'll serve in efficiency the same purpose, but there's a whole different messaging, branding, value that comes with that Chanel handbag. Another example would be a Rolex watch. I'm going to tell you a story about my father, my dad. My dad grew up in southern India in a pretty modest household. And growing up, he was one of the youngest kids of eight. So they didn't have a ton. They had the necessities. And my dad, from a young age, had an ambition for wanting bigger and better things, a better lifestyle. So he got himself in the Navy at a young age, kind of got out of his small town, got to a bigger city, and then eventually went overseas to the Middle East to find a better life. And through his journeys, he started to associate success with certain commodities, materialistic things, like I'm sure a lot of people do. And to him, that was a Rolex watch. Whenever he saw somebody wear a Rolex watch, he, for whatever reason, associated that person as being successful in life. And so his dream, his ambition in life was to be able to afford a Rolex watch, which he successfully did in his mid-30s. But the sentiment, the brand was so strong within him that he actually wanted his children to have it as well. And so when my brothers, I have two older brothers, and myself graduated uh, school, when I graduated medical school, he gifted me a Rolex watch with all the pride that he had, because to him, that was the pinnacle of success. Um, It's something that I treasure and I value very much, but that's how much a brand can affect a person. So a brand is a very strong moat. And it didn't matter that the Rolex watch wasn't the most expensive watch. There are more expensive watches out there. Um, but that's that was not what mattered to him. What mattered was that sentiment that a Rolex meant success. And that is what keeps these customers coming back, that strong emotional attachment. Another really cool example of her strong brand is Coca-Cola. Now, Coca-Cola did something that's fascinating. For 125 years, Coca-Cola has been around, and it's provided this consistent product all over the world. So you could be the king of England, or you could be a beggar on the London streets, but you both were drinking the same Coca-Cola can. It sort of created this equality in distribution that wasn't known for a long time, and it has been able to carry that for years. Another cool brand um, that's out there is uh, Patagonia. So Patagonia has established itself to outdoor lovers. It's become synonymous with high-quality outdoor wear. It's environmental, it's green, it's friendly to the environment. Um, Another good example is Starbucks, right? So if you think of what Starbucks did, Starbucks essentially upgraded coffee to Americans. It allowed Americans to enjoy drinking coffee, but also being watched while drinking coffee. It made these cafes with this vintage European furniture. Um, It gave its 
cups and sizes, these exotic names. I mean, what happened to small, medium, and large, right? It's now tall, grande, and venti. It, it definitely tastes better. So that's what Starbucks did. It changed the culture of drinking coffee. So when you're looking for companies and you think they have a strong brand moat, think it through. Think about what is that make what is making that brand really strong? How is it protected so that not an, it's not easy for another company to just come along and take over? So that's one type of moat. Let's talk about another one. So another type of moat is a secret moat or a resource moat. So what is that? So this is those those patents, those secrets, legal protections, um, intellectual property that people own, right? So that cannot be replaced, that's legally protected, at least until the patent runs out, which gives them a head start to fend off all the competition until they can kind of reach a point of critical mass. We see this in the healthcare world all the time with drug companies, right? So Pfizer, for example, is a classic example of a great secret or resource moat. So what did Pfizer do? Well, Pfizer acquired a small company called um, Warner Lambert. And and that was the company that owned the patent for Lipitor. I don't know if you know this, but Lipitor, which is a cholesterol medication, is the best-selling drug in the world. And it bought the company with the understanding, with the insight that they were really just buying the patent for Lipitor because now it has made them millions and probably billions of dollars. I mean, Lipitor has essentially become a household name, right? So they bought themselves a very strong secret or resource moat. Another really cool example of a secret or resource moat is Disney. Now, Disney is, has lots of moats probably, but we'll talk about it in this capacity or in this light. But what Disney does really well is it buys companies like Pixar, ESPN, Fox, and the intellectual property that comes along with it. These are super entertainers, right? They're leaders in visual entertainment products and shows, and they just adds to the Disney empire. Another thing Disney is phenomenal at doing is protecting its copyright laws. Now, Mickey Mouse, who we all know the character Mickey Mouse, should have lost its copyright protection in 1984. But every time it's up for expiration, Disney will spend millions of dollars lobbying to change the law, and magically it's protected for another couple of years. So from 1984, I believe it was extended first to 2003, and again they lobbied in 2003, And now it's extended up until 2023, which is upcoming soon. And I can guarantee you that something is going to happen again where the law will change to protect Mickey Mouse uh, from not being copyrighted. So they fully understand how valuable their secret moat is um, and will spend a lot of money to protect that moat. So let's move on. So a third moat um, that we can talk about that's pretty obvious, I think, is a switching moat, especially in today's society where a lot of people are either an Apple user or a Microsoft user, right? The reason we end up sticking with one of the other often is because they've both created this unique ecosystem. 
So if you're an Apple user, it's easier and more compatible for you to have a laptop that's from Apple, phone, an iPad, or watch, uh, your cloud storage, etc., will be within Apple or the Apple system versus if you're a Microsoft user. So you kind of have to pick one. Another example is the Alphabet Google G Suite, right? They've made it so convenient for small businesses and companies where you're going to use their, if you belong within that system and you're into Gmail and you're using G Suite as your account, then you're going to use their chat features and their accounts and other uh, features that the platform will offer you. It's hard to pick out a piece of it and try to switch. You kind of have to have it all or nothing. Um, so it protects customer loyalty fiercely in that way. And so a switching moat is a very efficient and a strong moat to have. Another moat, uh, this is moat four now, is going to be a monopoly or a toll moat. So this is basically like a toll bridge. If you want to get to the other side, well, you're going to have to pay the toll for the bridge. I pay a toll to cross the Dumbarton Bridge in the Bay Area every day that I go to work. It's just what I do. Another very similar example would be the electric company PG&E for Californians. So if you live in California and you want electricity, well, you're probably going to have to sign up for PG&E. Your local trash pickup is also a similar moat where it basically wins the contract to be the only provider to do a certain very essential or basic function. I think you can easily see why this is a very strong moat. Um, and remember, it's called a monopoly or a toll moat. Moat number five could be the network moat. So this is something that's really expanded or grown, I would say, in the last decade. And it basically depends on increasing the number of users and followers. So the more users or followers a company has, the stronger this moat becomes. So you can easily think of a lot of the social media platforms that are out there, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. The more people that are engaging with it, the stronger it becomes. But even outside social media, think of what Amazon did, right? Amazon became the marketplace for everything. It pretty much networked with suppliers for everything that you could want. I remember the first time I started or opened my Amazon account and soon became a Prime member. I was just amazed that I could, you know, within seconds buy detergent and diapers and or, um, shoes for my, my kid, all within a couple of minutes from my fingertips. Um, it just, it became so convenient because it had everything under its one platform. Another very strong company for a network moat is OpenTable. So OpenTable, which is a company that will make reservations to restaurants for you, became the single player, right? It, it basically tied up with the most amount of restaurants out there. And so restaurants basically stopped making reservations on the phone and said, hey, if you want to make a reservations, go to Open Table. And then you go to Open Table and you would use their platform and their, and their app to then make reservations for a number of restaurants just within one app and made it very convenient. And the more restaurants are out there, the more people that used it, that left reviews, it just strengthened the app. So a network moat is something we've seen pretty often, I would say, in the last couple of years. Um, last year with COVID, I think 
uh, Zoom emerged as a network moat. So Zoom is the video conferencing company. And in the beginning of COVID, I remember when I would get uh, invitations for meetings for work or whatever, I would get a variety. All right, I would get Zoom invites. I would get uh, a few Google Hangout or, uh, or video conferencing invites. I would get some WebEx invites. But I would say in about probably four or five months into COVID, they really all started becoming, or a large majority of them started becoming Zoom invites because just more people started signing up for Zoom accounts and it became an easier or a more universal tool. And it just became what people started to use. A network moat can be a very strong moat if enough users are engaging with it. The last moat we're going to talk about is probably an obvious one, and that is a cost or a price moat. So if a company can offer a service at a significantly lower cost, then that's going to automatically attract customers. So Walmart is probably a very classic example of a cost or a price moat. Costco is probably another one. Um, insurance companies, Geico. So Geico disrupted the market a little bit because it lowered its operating cost so much and it passed it on to its customers because it didn't follow the tradition of having an office and an in-person site that, that required certain amount of cost. It cut down on a lot of that and it was able to surpass a lot of its competitors because of that. So Geico is a very cool example of an innovative way to become a price or a cost moat. So there, so those are the six moats that we talked about today. And what I would suggest you do is when you're thinking about a potential company as an investment, think about their moat. Make sure that it's a very strong moat. If they have more than one moat, that's even better. But it should be a durable advantage, a sustainable advantage to that company. And remember, no moat's going to last forever, right? Competitors are going to come. People are going to try to come and fill into that space. So you have to also look to make sure that that company is actively working on widening and deepening that moat, that they're doing things to exceed its competitors from trying to fill it up. And here, I would say innovation is key, right? All moats disappear pretty fast. Think about department stores that are almost extinct, I would say now, right? The monopoly of newspapers at one point, or the American auto industry, for example. You know, these were industries that have almost been taken over because new innovation and disruption came and took over these, these fields. But apart from technology, there's also some companies that last because there's just not another way to do it. So... A very classic example for, for a company like this is the Burlington Northern Railroad Company. Now think of what else could be more old-fashioned than a rail, railroad company. But it's an excellent asset because who's going to create another railroad? And you have to move goods. You have to haul things from across the country, from LA to Chicago. And it's something, at least at this point in time, we don't really have a better way to do. And so the purpose and the need for it is still there, very much so. So that's still a very good asset to buy. But moats are becoming more challenging to sustain. And so really look at what companies are doing to protect them. You know, the average age of a company in the S&P 500 
Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, the S&P 500 is basically a fund, which is a collection of companies that you can invest in. And it's a fund of the 500 largest U.S. companies, public companies that are out there. And you'll hear people talk about the S&P 500 a lot when they're talking about the stock market because it's essentially become a marker of how the entire stock market is doing. You know, so people will say something like, if you read the news, you know, they often will start by the S&P is up so many points today or down this many points. It's just a marker of the overall stock market. So the average age of a company in the S&P 500 today is less than 20 years. And that's down from like 60 years old, or the average age being 60 back in the 1950s. And this is really because technology has disrupted how companies can do business, making it much harder to sustain over time. So if you can't find the moat, or you can't find a great moat in a company, just be careful. Be very, very careful, no matter how much you love that company, about wanting to invest your money into it. So I'm going to leave you with a request. Think of companies that you like or that you're considering to potentially invest in and try to find the moat. Try to see if there's more than one moat, what it is, and then think of what that company is doing to sustain that moat. How durable is it going to be? I hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned a thing or two. Feel free to check us out. There's going to be some more information on our website, uh, stocksfordocs.org, and also the blog that accompanies today's episode. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Until next week, cheers. Stocks for Docs is a podcast designed to educate healthcare professionals on building wealth through value investing. Take the first steps towards securing your future and listen weekly. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn as Stocks for Docs.